Welcome to the Living Worship Podcast. I'm so excited that you've decided to join us this week. Um, we are going through the next chapter in Israel's history. So they have been through the wilderness for 40 years. The older generations have died off. The younger generations have come up. And after all this time, they are ready to take the promised land. And so ever since Egypt, God has been closely taking care of the Israelites. And so except for the battle that we briefly talked about last week, where they acted outside of God's will, they've won every single military encounter because God has been there to protect them, because they were following him obediently. This newer generation of Israelites knows what it means to follow the Lord, and they trust him. So that's really important. They've had a couple hiccups that we um, are skipping over a little bit, so go back and read those. Um, but they definitely understand the importance of trusting and following God and doing it His way. And doing it God's way means there is success after success after success, right? Because He follows through on His promises. But this time, instead of a normal military encounter, it's different. And it's different because this time, there's an enemy sorcerer who has been paid to work against them and to curse them. And so as we begin looking into scripture today, we find the Israelites having defeated um, five armies so far, already venturing to the promised land to take it as their own, as God has promised them. And they're sleeping peacefully in the valley of Moab. And so we're picking up the story in Numbers chapter 22. We're going to read verses 1 through 21. And so it says, The Israelites traveled on and camped in the plains of Moab near the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Moab was terrified of the people because they were numerous, and Moab dreaded the Israelites. So the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde will devour everything around us like an ox eats up the green plants in the field. Since Balak, son of Zippor, was Moab's king at the time, he sent messengers to Balaam, son of Beor, at Pethor, which is by the Euphrates in the land of his people. Balak said to him, Look, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the surface of the land and are living right across from me. Please come and put a curse on these people for me, because they are more powerful than I am. I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that those you bless are blessed, and those you curse are cursed. The elders of Moab and Midian departed with fees for divination in hand. They came to Balaam and reported Balak's words to him. He said to them, Spend the night here, and I will give you the answer the Lord tells me. So the officials of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and asked, Who are these men with you? Balaam replied to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent this message to me. Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the surface of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. I may be able to fight against them and drive them away. Then God said to Balaam, You are not to go with them. You are not to curse this people, for they are blessed. So Balaam got up the next morning and said to Balak's officials, Go back to your land, because the Lord has refused to let me go with you. The officials of Moab arose, returned to Balak, and reported, Balaam refused to come with us. 
Balak sent officials again who were more numerous and higher in rank than the others. They came to Balaam and said to them, This is what Balak son of Zippor says, Let nothing keep you from coming to me, for I will greatly honor you and do whatever you ask me. So please come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam responded to the servants of Balak, If Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go against the command of the Lord my God to do anything small or great. Please stay here overnight as the others did, so that I may find out what else the Lord has to tell me. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, Since these men have come to summon you, get up and go with them. But you must only do what I tell you. When he got up in the morning, Balaam saddled his donkey and went with the officials of Moab. Alright, so there's a lot there. Okay, But see, Moab's king had no idea that God had actually commanded Israel earlier in the text to not attack them because they were related. You see, Moab was a nation that actually came from Lot. So if you remember way back, we were talking in Genesis, um, Abram's nephew Lot, right? They were related. Abraham actually took care of Lot uh, for a lot of his life. Um, and then Lot, um, <laughs> you'll just have... Mm. Alright, so Moab's king, Balak, he had no idea that Israel was not even intending to attack his nation. right? And that was because God had told Israel to avoid them because they were related. They were actually distant cousins. Um, Abraham took care of Lot, and Lot's family is Moab. And so they were not to go to war against Moab right now. And so, but Moab's king, Balak, he didn't know any of this. He was ignorant of this. And so he was understandably shook at the news that all of his neighboring kingdoms that he had alliances with probably were totally destroyed by God's people. The Israelites had annihilated them and they were going his direction. And so obviously he knows they had a God it was looking out for them. And the cultures in this area and time really thought that each nation had a designated God that was theirs uniquely. And so he did not doubt that their God was probably real. And he probably had a good idea of who their God was because of that family kind of connection there. And so he decided that he needed the help of sorcery. He needed the help of the devil. And so who does he go to? So he goes to the Midianites, which is another nation, and says, I know that you have some diviner. Um, I will pay as much as needs to be paid for the Israelites to get cursed so that I can destroy them and so that I can protect my home and take whatever they have. And so the Midianites take this money and they go find Balaam, who is the most well-known sorcerer of his time, like in this location, right? And so he practiced occult magic. He was well known for blessing and for cursing and for fortune telling. And the Bible tells us that these gifts are not from God. Um, anybody who calls himself a medium or a fortune teller or says that they practice witchcraft, um, the Bible says that is not from God. We should avoid people who do such things. 
Um, they're not from him. In fact, it says that those gifts, if they are real, they come from Satan. And so Balaam is this dude who's practicing sorcery and is like courting Satan over here. And Balak is saying, dude, I want your services. You need to come over here so that you can curse these people so that they won't attack me so that I can attack them. And you get the idea, right? And so Balak, he, he paid Balaam a fortune to travel a long distance to get to Moab and then curse Israel from mountains hidden. And so on this way, right, Balaam camps with these people and says, I'll give you an answer once I talk to Israel's God. And so he talks to Balaam. And Balaam doesn't act surprised, which lends to the notion that Balaam probably was talking to demons, okay? And so God talks to Balaam and uh, convinces him not to commit this evil against Israel. And so this happens once, and Balaam says, okay, all right, I get it, you're God, I'm not going to do this. And so he tells Balak, nope, I don't want it, I'm not going to do it, don't want any part of this. But then Balak comes back again, sends his servants with even more money. And Balak, this man really loves his money. Like, that is what drives and motivates Balaam. That is what gets Balaam out of bed in the morning, is money. And so, all of this money, and Balaam says, instead of saying no, as he should have, he says, let me ask God one more time. And so he, he goes to bed, he consults with God, and um, God gives him sp special instructions, and, and he says, if you're going to go with them, you must only say what I intend you to say, and only if they come and summon you in the morning. Well, in the morning, okay, what does Balaam do, right? So he weasels his way around God's directive, and he goes to the Moabites and travels with them because he desired money instead of obedience to God. Now know that this man was not an Israelite, but God has come for all people, right? He desires all to come to him, all to be um, saved and by faith through in causing righteousness, right? We, we get that if, if we are avid um, readers of the Bible who believe what it says, like that, that is true. And so God is, is, is trying to work in Balaam's life, but Balaam was like, I like the money too much. Okay, and so after be pretending to be obedient to Israel's God, he went out to covet the money. The consequences didn't matter. Verse 21 says, when he got up, he saddled his donkey, and he just went. He didn't wait to see if he was going to get summoned. He just went. And as we'll see in the next section, his attitude about what he was doing was all wrong. The Bible says that God knows our heart. He knows what drives and motivates us. And he responds to us accordingly. Not by our outside actions, but also by our hearts. Okay, so intentions and motivations here matter. So let's look at verses 22 through 30. It says, But God was incensed that Balaam was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand on the path to oppose him. Balaam was riding his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing on the path with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the path and went into the field. So Balaam hit her to return her to the path. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow passage between the vineyards, with a stone wall on either side. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord and pressed herself against the wall, 
squeezing Balaam's foot against it. So he hit her once again. The angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she crouched down under Balaam. So he became furious and beat the donkey with his stick. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and she asked Balaam, What have I done to you that you have beaten me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You made me look like a fool. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you now. But the donkey said, Am I not the donkey you've ridden all your life until today? Have I ever treated you this way before? No, he replied. Okay, so now we got talking animals in this story. I'm sure there's some people out there like, Okay, wait a minute, hold on. Hold on, this isn't Narnia. No, seriously, the Bible says this happened. Personally, I believe that it happened. The Bible is inerrant. It is without errors. So that means when the Bible says that God opened this donkey's mouth, I believe it's true. Right? God was rightfully angry at Balaam for defying him. Balaam did not leave with the intention to be obedient to God. Balaam left because he was greedy. Right? And so God was angry. God wanted to stop him from what he was about to do because he didn't care about what God said. He cared about the money that he was going to get. And Balaam's donkey was smarter than him. Okay, so also notice something kind of strange about this passage. That once I noticed it, it was like, oh, that understanding started to come in. Because what's implied here is pretty deep and kind of dark, okay? And so do you notice that Balaam wasn't surprised when his donkey spoke to him? I mean, if my dog or my cat started talking to me, I, I'd probably run out of the house, right? And I would be totally surprised. It would take me a minute to want to go back inside and actually hear what the animal had to say because of my sheer surprise, okay? It would have been so weird. Balaam, on the other hand, donkey talks to him. What does he do? He talks back in a normal conversation. Okay, that's strange. Okay, anyway, what does that imply then? Well, the way I see it, this is suggesting that Satan and demons had probably been talking to him in the past through animals. You know, this isn't the first time the Bible says that demons and Satan can do that. Right? You, all, you only, all you have to do is go back to Genesis chapter 3. And Satan is talking through the serpent. So if Satan can talk through a serpent to tempt Eve and Adam, right? Then Satan can certainly be talking to Balaam, a soothsayer who follows demonic ways, right? He can certainly be using animals in that way. So for this donkey to talk, and Balaam's not surprised... I'm saying there's something fishy going on there. But for God to have to use the donkey's mouth to save Balaam's life, to get him to come to his senses, must have meant that Balaam morally was in a terrible place. And that was the only way God could get him to listen. I pray that I am not that deaf to God. And I pray that you are not either. But God, he is reaching out to you. He wants to communicate with you and have that relationship with you. And he is trying to save Balaam from some terrible things that were about to happen. Let's see if Balaam 
pays attention. So let's keep reading. We're going to read verses 31 through 35. It says, No, he replied. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the path with the drawn sword in his hand. Balaam knelt low and bowed in worship on his face. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? Look, I came out to oppose you because I consider what you are doing to be evil. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away from me, I would have killed you by now and let her live. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the path to confront me. And now, if it is evil in your sight, I will go back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but you are to say only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. Notice the change here, though. Right? So all of this just happened so that God could just tell him one more time, You only say what I tell you to say. That means Balaam was plotting to go against what God was saying. So he wasn't trying to get it both ways. He was outright on his journey to defy God. And so all of this happens, and he finally gets, gets it in his thick head that a lot of things are happening right now that he doesn't understand. And that he needs to obey, I don't know, the creator of the universe. I, I think a lot's on the line there. When, when God of everything tells you to do something, my goodness, you do it, right? And so the same God, our God, who opened the donkey's mouth to speak, opened Balaam's eyes. A mighty, angelic warrior with a sword in hand, ready to strike. Three times it appeared. The donkey saw it. Balaam didn't. The donkey tried to save her master's life. Balaam didn't care. The donkey he'd ridden all his life, he, he, he just beat her over and over and over again, right? And then finally, his eyes are opened, and he falls on his hands and his knees as he hears that his animal saved his life. So what does he do? He offers to go home. He apologizes for his actions. But as we will see later, he was not actually sincere. He was not repentant. He had what I'm going to call worldly sorrow, when he should have been showing a godly sorrow. His attitude, his whole focus, was still on himself. It was on Balaam. It was on protecting Balaam, what's best for Balaam, right? But for the first time, despite his focus, he did realize that there was more at stake than just saying a couple words and making a lot of cash. And God had to use a donkey to talk sense to him. Next week, we're going to talk about the things that Balaam actually says and what he does. And God is going to use Balaam to reveal truth to the world about the nation of Israel and about Jesus. It's really important. This is a man who does not follow God, who does not love God, does not honor God with his life. And yet God is still using him to further his kingdom. See, God is sovereign over all. Whether you choose to follow him or not, he's the dude that's in control. You'd rather be on his side than not. By the way, since he's the creator, he gets to set the rules. 
That means when we follow the rules, it's good for us. We ought to pay attention to that. You know, there will always be people in life who will use the phrase, I'm sorry, I've sinned, but they use it as a get-out-of-jail-free card, just like Balaam just did. The Bible tells us that this is the only way that lost people actually repent, and it's not actually repentance, right? Because it's all about them. It's all about um, themselves. It's real sadness. They have real remorse. Those are real tears. But it's more about, I have to give up something now because I shouldn't have this. It's more about, I can't believe I got found out. It's not really about what they did. It's the fact that they can't have it anymore. That's very worldly. And so I'm not saying it's not real sadness. It is, but it's it's a sadness that's focused selfishly. Godly sorrow, which is what Balaam should have showed, is always about the sin committed. It's resting in the reality of the evil that you committed against the God who has set a standard for the way of living and that you broke it. It's a desire to align your life with God's way and to put to death your way of doing things. It's a God-first mentality. It's a God-first sadness that you didn't do it his way. That's the kind of sorrow that God has called us to. That's a sorrow that leads to real, lasting life change and repentance. And so if you find yourself returning to that same old sin, it's a worldly, satanic sorrow that you're trapped in. A humble attitude and God's grace are required to make that change. It's, it's, it requires a true commitment to following Jesus. You can't experience this without Jesus. Doing life God's way and then putting all other ways in the garbage You've got to do it God's way and put all other ways in the garbage. That's hard. That's personal. Most people see that about Christianity, see that in the Bible, and they don't want to go that way. They don't want to give up themselves. They don't want to sacrifice of themselves. They don't want to confront the darkness that God reveals that is in us. I've heard some authors, you know, that they'll call it, you know, the, the pet darkness. I like it too much. I want to keep it around. I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't have it, but it's mine. And they don't let God have control of that part of their life. And oftentimes that means God won't have control over any part of their life. And they live lost. They live for themselves. And that is not the way that God has designed us, asked us, created us to go. If that's the way you find yourself this week, and you want to experience that lasting life change, that godly sorrow that I've been talking about, please turn your life over to Jesus 
Ask him to come into your life and then every single day, give up yourself and do it his way. Pray, get in the word, learn what it says. The gospel is not hard to understand, but it's hard to live. And you can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit and through having salvation through Jesus. Thanks for joining me this week. Um, as you can see, um, I've been working on my office a little bit. Things are changing around here um, for the better. I'm getting more organized. Um, so excuse the mess. Uh, hopefully by next week it will look even better. But if you like this podcast, um, please like, share, and subscribe. If you're listening on um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of those other platforms, um, please give me a rating of five stars. Leave a review. Um, I read all of that stuff, so I really would love that. And uh, hope to see you here again next week. All right, bye. Mm -hmm.